0: What we'll be doing the next couple of weeks is continuing our study of the Spirit's work in our life, the fruit of the Spirit. So I've called this genuine spirituality or genuine spiritual life. Well, that raises the question what is genuine spirituality? Back in the 60s, when some of us older folks were in college, spirituality was wandering around the university in a saffron robe ringing little chimes and holding your fingers like this and going, um, making other strange behaviors. When I was a young boy in the church I grew up in, spirituality was reading books about the lives of the saints and it was in some way abusing yourself. Models of spirituality that were given to me every year in school were the same, there was always a story of this fella in the Middle Ages who took a rope and pushed little pieces of metal into the rope and then would take the rope and beat himself with it until his back was raw. And somehow self-mutilation made him spiritual. In the early church, there were similar, bizarre understandings of spirituality. One famous person was Simon Stilitis. He climbed up on a pole and sat there for a long time, living on the top of a pole, supposedly freeing himself from distractions from the world. The hermit monks were famous in the early church. They would go into the wilderness and find a cave and live there as a hermit, eating virtually nothing, having almost nothing in the cave to live on. And it was thought that because they had removed themselves from the world, they were spiritual people. But what they really were was what you just thought. That's weird. They were weird people who had something unbalanced in their mind and in their thinking. It didn't necessarily make them closer to God. Well, real spirituality should be a spiritual life. And a spiritual life is the life in the Spirit, as we shall see. I'm sorry, something happened to the PowerPoint slides in transit. They were emailed. My wife Faithful Michelle took care of that this week. But but they're not here and displayed. So next week I'll bring them on a thumb drive so that we, you can all look at the thumb drive if you want. (laughs) The Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, we read about after the resurrection, Jesus sent the Spirit the disciples were gathered in a room and a sound like a rushing wind came and what appeared to be tongues of flames came and rested upon the disciples in that upper room. That symbolized the giving of the Spirit. And thus in much religious art you often see, especially ancient religious art, an apostle shown with a tongue of flame over his head like the uh, feather on an Indian headdress or something, symbolizing that he was filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We need to examine that today. And then in the next few weeks, we'll finish looking at the fruit of the Spirit, which many of you have begun to do in your Bible study groups. Sorry, my notes were neatly organized Ram got them all straight for me. So now they're still neat, but I can't see the the big ones that had the slides. For, um, that's the one I need. Because I had the scripture passages. You these here? Yeah, they were, they're kind of gray. Is that it here? See if I can read this. Wonderful. The, one of the terrible things a stroke did to me is make it very hard to to read anymore and see clearly. When we talk about spirituality we are talking about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to believers. The Day of Pentecost is when that began Romans 8-6 says that if you are a Christian, the Spirit indwells you. So it's not an issue of getting more of the Spirit or getting the Spirit. The issue is, is allowing the Spirit to fill you. Allowing Him access into your life to transform you so that you can have true spirituality. Now I've lost sight of my notes. They got covered up in the last shuffling of papers. You see the benefit of being well prepared. (laughs) When the unexpected happens, you still get spun. Because you can't prepare for the unexpected. That's why it was unexpected. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 20 is a section where Paul talks about the Spirit's life. The book of Ephesians in many ways is the reader's digest version of the book of Romans. The same main themes but given in a briefer and more concise discussion. So you may find reading Romans 6, 7, and 8 to be helpful because then you'll get a fuller explanation of what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but, in contrast, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit is an imperative. It's a command. God wouldn't tell us to do something that wasn't His will. So it is His will that we'd be filled. It's a the verb, be filled with, is a present tense, which means it's ongoing, not once. Not like getting married, which you do once, and then staying married and behaving as if you're married which is an ongoing experience and an ongoing process. Being filled is an ongoing process. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you've ever read the book, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, remember the Herdmans, the little Herdman girl, when they do the Christmas pageant and the baby Jesus comes out, What is she always yelling out? Shazam! She thinks spiritual is to be all excited and to yell and scream. And that's not what it means to be spiritual. It doesn't mean to run around and do bizarre things, to sit on the top of a pole for 20 years. When I was in college, I had a small group. One of the guys in my small group came from an historic Pentecostal church where they talked about the Holy Spirit a great deal. One Sunday several of the guys went to church with the other member of the group. And I said, what was it like? And they said, well, it was odd. What was odd? He said, well, someone said, the devil's here. And then someone else said, we need to stomp on the devil. And they all started jumping up and down, stomping on the devil. And then somebody climbed the wall and jumped off the radiators in the older buildings. They would put radiators on the sides of the walls to heat the room. People were leaping around like crazy. And it left this fella totally confused as to what was going on. I'm not sure God was glorified in that worship or that it was really worship of God. I think it was just some kind of emotional excess That's not what being filled with the Spirit means. Two illustrations that might help to explain what Paul was thinking of when he said be filled with the Spirit. The word filled in Paul's day could be used as it can be today in very concrete ways. One would be a sail filled with a wind. If you've ever gone downtown Chicago when the tall ships come in you know that Navy Pier is crowded with thousands and thousands of people wanting to see the tall ships. One year when my wife and I were living in Chicago we rode our bikes down to Navy Pier to see the tall ships. They were all tied up at the side of the pier and nobody was paying much attention. Then conditions changed a little breeze picked up and the ship started untying themselves from the pier and pushing off and going out into the lake. Everyone knew what would happen. The sails would be unfurled and they would start sailing across the water. So people rushed to the one end of the pier to get the best possible view. It was very interesting. The sails had been rolled up. There's the mast, the tall beam that sticks straight up. And then there's some type of a cross beam that the sail were rolled up onto and they had to unroll them from there, lower them down. And as they did, you could see when the wind caught the sail, it filled up, changed shape, and began to move the ship through the water. So in a very real sense, when that sail was filled with wind, it was controlled or empowered or guided or directed. The ship needed to be filled, its sails to be filled with wind to do what it was created to do. If you were a sail, would you want to be a sail hanging limply from the mast, just hanging there? No, I'd want to be a sail filled with the wind, doing what I was created to do, moving that ship through the water. And so to be filled with the Spirit at times means the Spirit directs controls or empowers us to do what God created us to do. If you read through the book of Acts, you will see many times when disciples and the apostles are said to be filled with the Spirit, and clearly what's happening is they're being empowered to do what God wanted them to do at that time. Another use of the word filled that gives us a sense of what it means to be spiritual it's a room filled with a fragrance or an aroma. When we first were married, my wife used to make homemade pizza. Her homemade pizza was better than any I've ever had. She would often make her own sauce with it. I'd come home from a day working and smell as I came in the house and smell the aroma and know what was for dinner. It was homemade deep dish pizza. I still remember that smell with fond memories. The house was filled with the aroma of pizza. That would be a sense not of directed or controlled or empowered. I wouldn't say the house was directed and didn't or transformed into a pizza. I would say it was characterized by an aroma. And so when we're filled with the spirit, we become characterized By the Spirit. That's what spirituality really is. It is the life of the Spirit in us as he begins to characterize us. One of the difficult it's been said that the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. That's true. The only one who ever successfully lived the Christian life was Jesus Christ. And that was because the Spirit empowered him. Sometimes for us it's very difficult to live as we think we should as Christians. And that's why the key to spirituality, the Spirit empowering us. We have the good blessing to live in a perhaps the most beautiful part of Illinois, northern Illinois, where everything seems to grow in abundance. We have wonderful apple trees up here. I like a good apple. I come from New York State which also produces outstanding apples. Now I'm going to give away a secret. How does an apple tree have good apples? If you want to see this process you need to go into an orchard near the full moon towards the end of August. You'll see the apple trees out there trying to make apples. If the moon is very bright and it's quiet that night, you hear the apple trees saying, apples, 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 I will have apples. Sometimes Christians are like that. They think, I need to be spiritual. I need to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. We have a particularly onerous boss. And we know we should respond with, with kindness. One part of the fruit of the spirit. So we try to grunt it out. And it doesn't work that way. The only thing an apple tree has to have in it in order to have apples is apple life. If an apple tree has apple life in it, it has apples. Now if you take an apple branch and you graft it onto a maple tree... You don't get gallon cans of maple syrup, you get a dead branch. Because if the apple branch doesn't have apple life in it, it will not produce apples. Nor will it produce bananas or strawberries. If you graft an apple branch onto a dead tree, you just have an even more dead branch. Dead branches don't produce any fruit. Only branches that have the right kind of life in them produce fruit. An interesting thing about fruit is you can tell what kind of a tree it is by the fruit it produces. Apple trees that have apple life in them produce apples, not bananas or strawberries. And so Christians who allow the Holy Spirit to live in them, produce the fruit of the Spirit. They don't have to grunt it out. It's not by taking a whip and beating yourself. or are other images of spirituality that were presented to me when I was a little boy. One of the most famous ones was the old ethnic women would go on a pilgrimage to Rome and they would take their rosary and say the rosary as they climbed the steps of a cathedral and supposedly this made them very spiritual they would climb the steps on their knees till their knees were a bloody mess saying a prayer on each step I never understood how that made you spiritual it just seemed like it was destroying yourself nobody intentionally injures their own body and that supposedly, when I was a child, was spirituality. It wasn't. It was the apple tree trying to ground out apples, saying, I will just beat myself to a p- bloody pulp, and that will make me godly. It didn't make you godly. It just made your knees sore, made everybody look at you and wonder, why would you do such a thing? So, Ephesians 5.18 reminds us that we are to be filled with the Spirit. As we struggle against sin, we need the Spirit in us to guide or direct us in the way we should go, to empower us to do what we should do, and to characterize us with holiness, with the fruit of the Spirit. There's an old phrase that isn't used much anymore: besetting sins." I looked up the word "besetting yesterday, and the example the dictionary gave, Dave was a ship of the early explorers to the north and south Pole. that got trapped or beset by the ice, surrounded by ice. I remember reading a book about the endurance the ship that Shackelford was on when he tried to make it to the South Pole. It got trapped by the ice and as the ice came in it started destroying the ship. The genius of Shackelford they said was if you were in a situation that was life or death he would always see that you got home. Apparently a brilliant leader. Some of us have besetting sins that are like that. They're sins that surround us and that seek to destroy us. Paul in Romans 6, 7 and 8 describes his own struggle with that sin and then in Galatians he describes the struggle as well. He described the deeds of the flesh in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. The deeds of the flesh, which are all sin, are often enhanced by our background and they surround us. Some of us grew up in families that cultivated a certain kind of sin. We might have had a parent who did not show holiness in their marriage relationship. And so we struggle with holiness, with maintaining purity. I grew up in a home that cultivated using the tongue as an instrument. My mother had been divorced and felt very shamed because of that. So when people would say things, she would use her sharp intellect to come back with a reply that would cut them. A sharp and cutting tongue was the content of our dinner table conversation every evening. Needless to say, that is my besetting sin because I was trained in it very well as a child. So I struggled with that habit of saying sharp things. And tragically, my wife at times has had to suffer the pain of my sharp tongue. How do I overcome that sin? Being filled with the Spirit is the key. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Sharp words are not holy words. They are not words that encourage or give glory to Christ or build up the other person. What I need is to be filled as a sail is filled with the wind. I need to be empowered to overcome the inertia of my habit from childhood. What I also need is to be filled as a room is filled with a fragrance or an aroma. I need to be characterized by the Spirit who is a Holy Spirit. So the key to the spiritual life becomes the Holy Spirit who can empower us, guide and direct us in the way of, spirit, of true spirituality, and who can characterize us, which was with that which is truly spiritual. In Ephesians six, Paul said, "Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, so that you obey its evil. Do not present." parts of your body as instruments of wickedness. My struggle is presenting my tongue as an instrument of wickedness because that's how I grew up. For some of you, it may not have been family of origin. It may have been a fraternity in college that taught you to present your body as instruments of evil, of wickedness. And overcoming those habits has become a lifelong struggle. The second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, indwells us so that he might fill us with something different. With the fruit of the Spirit, that we might be holy as he is holy. How do you, are you filled with the Spirit is a question some may be asking right now. The answer is not to get all excited, to eat a five-pound bag of sugar and drink a gallon of adrenaline so you're running around like a crazy person trying to stomp on the devil. It's very simple. Think about it for a moment. Many people worry about grieving the Spirit, which is mentioned in Ephesians 430, the references in your notes. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? When we do that which is not what the Holy Spirit was sent to enable us to do or to be. The same way a child grieves a parent, when they disobey, when they do that which is wrong, we can grieve or sadden the Spirit. When we realize we have done that, which in one word can be called sin, what we need to do is confess it and ask God to forgive the sin. I like the Greek word translated in English as confess. It's very graphic. The word is homo legao. Homo means the same. Legao, to say or to speak. To say or to speak the same. The same as who? The same as God does. When I was a new Christian, oftentimes the person leading our Bible study would tell me, you're a Christian now, you should not be doing that. And sometimes I would say, why? I don't understand. What I needed to do was a Bible study of that area until I began to understand why God says it's sin. So a word study sometimes can help, and then you understand why it is sin. Why it is wrong. Confession it's saying the same as God says about it. Until I can say about it what God says about it, I will not abandon it. I've not found I will not find his forgiveness. The word repent which if you're from the south is pronounced repent, right? You got to say it the right way if you're from the right region of the country. Repentance, the English word repentance is a Greek, in Greek it is metanoeo. "Meta" means to change, metamorphosis. Noeo, to know, to change your thinking, to really repent of my sin, is necessary before I can confess. Before I can say about it, what God says about it, I have to have change my way of thinking about it. So, when you have a sharp tongue, you have to look at what God says you should be speaking of. That which is good and pure and holy and above reproach and lovely. That which edifies or builds up. That which, which gives grace to those who hear. The end of Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty eight and twenty nine. Let no unwholesome word or rotten word come out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. So there in Ephesians four, twenty eight and twenty nine, Paul gave some criteria for speech. No unwholesome word is it rotten speech unwholesome but only such a speech as is good for edification will build them up edification or build them up good for edification according to the need of the moment then it may give grace to those who hear so the criteria for speech is Michael not how do you zing back on somebody who's shamed you by what they said with some sharp comment how do you say something that will build them up according to the need of the moment, something that will build them up now by focusing them on God's grace. That takes some thought to think of what to say. The Spirit was given to enable me to overcome those deeds of the flesh, those habits of the past, and to replace them with the habits of, of the Spirit, of spirituality, of true spirituality. Now, but the habits of the, of the works of the flesh or of sin. I'm sorry, I can't see. In Romans 7, Paul said, I don't understand what I do. I do for what I want to do. I do not do. But I do what I hate to do. For what is not good, or is not the good I want to do, the evil I do not want to do. That is what I keep on doing. Then he cries out with great emotion, Who rescued me from this body of death? He realizes the way he is going is not leading him to life with God. It's leading him to death, to separation from God. In Romans chapter 8, Paul makes it clear the answer is the Holy Spirit. That chapter uses the word spirit more times than any other chapter in the entire New Testament making it unavoidable to conclude that the key to being set free from this body of death is the life of the Spirit in me. Galatians 5.16 Paul said For I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Learning to live by the Spirit Spirituality is actually the habit of, of living by the Spirit. The habit of allowing the Spirit to fill us, to control, guide, direct, and empower, and characterize us. That's the habit of dealing with sin when I recognize it, confessing it, admitting it was wrong, and asking God to forgive it. How does God forgive my sin? As we know, It's on the basis of what Christ did on the cross. One promise that is well worth memorizing is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he, referring to God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive our sins when we confess them. When we admit that we've done wrong, when we say about our sin, what God says about it, he forgives it. To forgive is to remove the condemnation that is due us for our sin. He removes the condemnation that is due to us. John continued, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like that second half of the promise. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My wife and I had only been married a short time. We had our first house. And one night for dinner, she cooked beets. She liked cooked beets. I thought I'd be a helpful husband and clean up after dinner. So I saw the pan on the stove, reached over. All the beets had been taken out and served. And I took the pan and dumped it into the sink. To my horror, we now had a red sink. I didn't know that beet juice would stain the porcelain of the sink. I immediately took the uh, dish soap and squirted it all over the red stain and took the dish rag and started wiping like a crazy guy. And it wouldn't wipe off. Being sure I'd ruined the sink, I very humbly went to my wife and said, here's what I did, what do I do now? She said, you have to use cleanser. What's that? Remember, single guys, what's the value of a meal to a single guy? The definition of a good meal for a single man is if I can eat it before it eats me, it's good. So what's that? It's that bottle underneath the sink called Comet. So I took the Comet out and I sprinkled it on. What's this going to do? Then she said, you have to rub it into the sink. It will scour out, cleanse all the stain out of the sink. And sure enough, the comet reached into the pores of the sink and took out the stain so that when it was done, doing its work, we had a nice-looking sink again. First John nine. If we confess our sins, is faithful and just to forgive the sin, to cleanse us. To forgive it, to remove the condemnation and to cleanse us, to reach into the pores of our being and to remove that which caused the sin in our life. When sin is habitual, when it's something that you learned when you were in a fraternity in college or something you learned over the dinner table as a child or something you learned from a parent who neglected to fulfill their vows and duties in marriage, or wherever you learned it. It's become part of your being. God promises you'll reach into and you'll cleanse it. He'll remove it from you. So we often say, how can I get free from the entrapment of sin as Paul did in Romans? Who will set me free from this body of death? was his way of saying it. Forgiveness sets us free and the cleansing that accompanies forgiveness and then the Spirit who fills us with that which is holy because he is the Holy Spirit and replaces the deeds of the flesh with true spirituality. So having confessed our sins we then should turn to the Spirit in. Yield ourselves to him or open ourselves. Ask him to take control. Like a sail unfurled from the mast can be filled with the wind. So open ourselves to the spirit. Or a room when the door is open can be filled with an aroma or a fragrance. So open our my life to the spirit to transform me. So often my prayer is, Father, What's going to happen next in my life is an area where I've repeatedly failed and sinned. Thank you that you've forgiven that sin. I continue to pray you will cleanse me of it and fill me with your spirit now and replace that sin with that which is holy. Empower me to resist the habits of my past and characterize me by that which is truly spiritual rather than that which is of the flesh or of the sinful nature. Very simple prayer like that. It's not magic phrases that makes you filled with the Spirit. Some people think that they have to have everything exactly word perfect. They seemingly believe in magic, like abracadabra. If you just say the right word, something happens. God looks at our heart when we pray. If our prayer is a sincere prayer of of confession and of yielding to Him, of asking Him to fill us, He will do so. For the Spirit is not finicky. He doesn't pick and choose like a finicky person would. Rather, his desire is to make us holy. That is why he fills us when we become a Christian. He indwells us when we become a Christian. I'm sorry, I should have used the correct word. Because he indwells us when we became a Christian, we never need to get more of the Spirit. It's like that aroma of the homemade pizza. If I open every door of the house, soon the entire house smells of the aroma of homemade pizza. Sometimes opening a part of my life to God's work is difficult. It takes a time of reflection, of real repentance, of studying God's word, what God says about what I'm doing of reaching a conclusion where I believe what he says and I have the same attitude that he does towards that which is wrong. Many of you probably years ago read a little book, My Heart Christ's Home, where the author compares our life to a house. His point in saying my heart Christ's home is we need to go through our life and open the door to each room for Christ to be at home there. And that can be very difficult with habits. Learning to do that, it may mean changing what you read or watch on TV. It may mean acquiring new habits that are wholesome and holy and godly and good. One of the marks of the Bible study group that we're part of is that they serve one another. The members of the group are deeply committed to serving one another and serving others in the church. When they hear of needs, there's always someone that says, well, what can we do? Yesterday, many of, a number in our group came over and cleaned out the gutters for us and did some other things around the house that my wife and I needed doing that I can't do anymore. Because they have passionately committed themselves to allowing the Spirit to guide and direct them, they often find themselves serving one another and doing that which brings honor to God. And so when we tell our friends and family who are not Christians about our church, they're always amazed. They've never heard of people who do that. People who help other people when they don't have to. When no one's forcing them to. When God didn't say, either do this or you go to hell. Before I became a Christian, I would do good for other people because I'd been trained to do good towards people. Last The other week when we started looking at the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, one of the questions that was asked in our small group last week was how has your earthly father influenced you? And many of us shared. Some shared how the earthly father had influenced us for good. Some shared how the earthly father had been a source of grievous sin and pain and suffering in their life. And so We should allow our Heavenly Father to become the pattern of who we wish to become and what we wish to be. We want to become godly or truly spiritual by allowing the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to fill us and to characterize us. I'm going to encourage you in your Bible study groups this week those of you who understand the filling ministry of the Spirit to take some time and share in your own words with the rest of the group what that's meant for you and those that have found the Spirit as He fills you to empower you to overcome a sin which had beset you had surrounded you and entrapped you how He set you free share those testimonies to encourage each of us to turn to God's Spirit to set us free, free to become that which God created us to be, free to become spiritual because true spirituality is not climbing the steps of a big church on our knees until they're bloodied or whipping ourselves with a cord that has bits of metal in it or other forms of mutilation. True spirituality is the Holy Spirit manifest in our lives. Will you bow with me as we close in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that your Spirit was sent to indwell us and to fill us and transform us From those controlled by the sinful nature to those who can be controlled by our redeemed nature, by true spirituality. I pray this day for each here who struggles with sin, that they may find freedom from sin through your forgiveness, through your cleansing, and through the filling of your spirit. For we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ who sent the Spirit to us. Amen.